Welcome to another Confluence podcast. Uh, I'm happy to introduce today's guest, uh, Sam Zolfagarian. Uh, I met Sam. Uh, she and her partner, Medi, have a company called Yegatech. Uh, Sam is the CTO. They uh, came in and helped us put on a, an AI workshop at this year's Confluence event, which turned out great. You'll hear us, I'm sure, talking about this with other guests on some of these episodes, but uh, was very timely and, and helpful, I think, for everyone. Sam also agreed uh, during the event, she gave a presentation on the governance, uh, how to start thinking about governance and the ethics and those kinds of issues around AI inside firms. So I think that's also very timely um, discussion uh, th that everybody needs to be thinking about. So uh, Sam was, uh, you know, it was great that she was able to not only help us put on the workshop, but to also deliver uh, a talk around the governance. So we're going to spend this episode talking with Sam a little more about, you know, how to start thinking about that, the importance of, of, of why firms need to be thinking about these kinds of things and the issues involved. Uh, so I hope you will enjoy this, this discussion. Yeah, I'll give a little bit more information here about Sam. Sam has a structural engineering, construction management, and technology development background. She used to design and build residential buildings. She has a unique perspective and experience on the intersection of technology and the built environment. Through her professional journey at Autodesk, she has developed emerging technologies to streamline construction processes and increase efficiency. She currently advises design and construction executives to build and integrate AI strategies into their business while setting up AI governance and navigating its risks. Sam holds a PhD in design, computing, and construction management from the Georgia Institute of Technology and a bachelor's degree in structural engineering. So she has been very, very busy. She is an AI speaker, a published author, and the leader of the AEC innovation community aiming to bridge the gap between university research and industry challenges. And I was really happy to have her talk at Confluence, Randall. So good job for setting that up because it is important to have this part of the conversation, which we will get more into in this episode. But I mean, that's kind of the whole idea behind Confluence, right? Which is to get all of these different viewpoints in the same room at the same time so we can have a very full featured conversation and so I, again, like, thanks for doing that. But also I, this is a great add to the conversation because I think so many people are worried about risk. We're in a risk averse uh, industry for sure as AEC. And so uh, the whole idea of addressing that in the very beginning, I think is just a, a brilliant idea. Yeah. And I think anytime, um, obviously anytime there's new technology, you know, typically new technologies are disruptive in one way or the other. So People tend to, uh, you know, when it's new territory, there's all kinds of thinking that have to go around it. So I think the putting frameworks in place uh, to not be frightened by this, but to understand the risks and benefits versus the risk, as in anything, uh, is an important part of the conversation. And I think it was a great part of what Sam was able to bring, you know, to the conversation. We also had, I'm sure we'll have uh, in upcoming podcasts, some of the practitioner side companies that are actually working on this. Right. I think we talked about this a little bit during the, during the episode, but, you know, Sam was able to come, come at it from a, you know, not only on the AI side of things and kind of understanding the technology, but also being able to give that perspective on, you know, how, how do firms need to think about this from a governance 
uh, and how it's going to impact their firms and how they should think about uh, putting those frameworks in place. Um, and I think everybody at the event, you know, felt felt that this was a very timely and good part of the conversation. Um, not, everybody gets excited about the tech, but you, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to become part of the business, and you have to really start to think these things through. So it was it was Absolutely. great after involved. All right, well, let's jump right into it. Welcome to the Confluence podcast. Today we've got uh, Sam Zolfagarian, um, and uh, we were just, uh, both Evan and I were both with Sam uh, within the last month at the Confluence event in Kentucky, and Sam gave a, a great presentation uh, where she covered issues around AI and governance and the kind of framework uh, helped everybody think through the framework uh, of, of what we should be thinking about and the kinds of things that we're going to have to start thinking about if we're not already thinking about them. So uh, we're uh, happy to have you on, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, and I'm excited about this discussion. And thank you so much for the opportunity last month having us over in Lexington. Very great event. Uh, Confluence brought very bright-minded people together to share their experience, let's learn about AI. So uh, thanks for organizing such a fantastic event. Brandel, what you said in the intro and what Sam's presentation was about, it really makes you think which comes first. The, the This is a chicken and the egg problem, right? Governance, ethics, all of those things. And so if, if you're already thinking about AI, should you be thinking about this before you implement or is this something that you start wading into and you figure it out as you go so i'm i'm excited to have this conversation because i think everybody should be thinking about this yeah i'll just uh, i guess i'll just tee it up we had uh two two different presentations during the confluence event one was uh dave peterson from flad architects and i think dave and some of his team will have them on the podcast uh coming coming up soon to talk about what they're doing and how they're thinking about it but Sam, you know, was able to also give everybody just a, a broad framework. Uh, so that's hopefully what we'll talk some about today and, and get some more mm-hmm. insights about just, you know, it's, it's all new. And anytime there's something new, uh, it, it requires some thinking. But at the same time, ethics and morals and all those things aren't new. So hopefully, you know, it's like we can draw on, on things that we've done in the past, but it does bring up new, new mm-hmm. concerns and new issues. So looking forward to this conversation. Maybe you can give um, Sam just kind of kick this off with what came about that made you start thinking about why governance was going to be an issue and, uh, and got you into even thinking about it in the first place. So there are multiple reasons that made me think about governance. The first one is my background is a product manager. I used to be a product manager at Autodesk uh, before starting my new role at Yegatech. And one common um, term that we have is tech debt. I'm sure, Randall, you're familiar with it. So you have to meet some deadlines. You have to release some features and make sure that you meet your customer needs. And eventually, your tech debt is getting more and more. And it's difficult to come back and fix that. So the way that I'm looking at governance right now, all of us are rushing into building technologies because it's so much easier these days, considering the recent announcement with uh, OpenAI, having something uh, ChatGPT store, so everyone can go there, developers can go there and build their own solutions. It means the flood of solution will come uh, down the pipeline. 
And what it will cause is like, okay, we build the solutions, but we ignore those risks that may come from like data privacy, biases, security. So that could be like a tech that, that we used to have in software uh, development. And going back, fixing it is difficult. It's more costly. So how we can consider that AI governance while we're setting up our AI strategy or developing a solution. Uh, that one was one reason that made me think, okay, how we can make sure from the beginning we won't get into that tech that uh, challenge that we have in the traditional software development. And the other one was like, whenever we were talking uh, to our customers, and even some of them, they're reaching out to us. They're like, oh, AI is cool, but I'm scared of my IP, how I can protect my like um, data privacy, how I can make sure that my data won't be available to others, or even they're worried about their customers' data. And that's where governance comes in too, right? So we need to make sure that we keep the balance between, okay, leveraging AI technologies, but in the meantime, what we need to do in terms of minimizing its risk. Yeah, those are all, all great points. And I think, you know, one of the first things um, that it makes me think is that uh, because uh, if you're in a firm, running a firm, involved in the management of a firm, you're likely going to have some of your customers asking you these things and you don't want to be caught flat footed. You know, it's like you want to have an answer to these kinds of things. So I think it's, yeah. uh, it's very prudent to at least begin having those conversations around that and putting a framework in place. Um, have you seen, uh, just in the firms that you all have been working with, is this, is this something that are most are proactively doing or thinking about only after they've kind of been, you know, prodded a little bit? Uh, they're doing it, but it depends who you're talking to. Some of them are at the earliest stage. They're trying to figure out how, uh, like even what is AI. So for most people, AI means ChatGPT, but it's not. It's just one way of uh, leveraging AI um, to make our work easier. But they're trying to understand the meaning, the definition of AI and how AI can help them. For some customers, they're more advanced. So they're setting up some use cases, practical use cases, based on the business goals that they have. In the meantime, they're putting like uh, some governance framework together. And that's where we help them, like what they need to consider. And something that recently happened is even tech companies, that one was uh, unexpected, reaching out and want to see like how they should set AI governance for their companies. Mm -hmm. Because AI governance is not just for us, like um, as a user, it's also for developers. So it's coming from that beginning, uh, AI development, going through deployment and operation. So they want to see, tech companies want to see how they can leverage AI governance as a consumer because they're consuming some AI technologies and also as uh, providers of AI tech. So I would say it's like, it depends like who you're talking to. They might be in different stage of governance, but there isn't any unique framework that can address everybody's uh, needs, depending on even the duo that you're based, like European uh, regulations could differ from what we have in the US. So depending on even your companies, what you do, those frameworks could differ. And I just wanna ask upfront, Sam, is this something that you offer consulting 
for AEC firms on because I think a lot of times they're going to have a risk management department, lawyers, things like that, who this is a totally new concept to them as well. And so they're going to be looking for guidance. And is this something that they can get help with? Because like every if everybody's different, they need to tailor it to their needs. And somebody who is in AEC, who's worked for tech companies and kind of understands all the different languages is really going to be able to help navigate that. So I, I just want to throw that out in front because mm-hmm. I think that makes a difference when people are listening to what you're you're saying that you are also a resource that they could potentially tap into. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're helping our customers with not their only AI strategy, but also AI governance. Back to our uh, event, Confluence event in Lexington, we were talking about that four-eyed fish. So like how Mm -hmm. a four-eyed fish survived by uh, the structure of the eyes is in a way that they can see the under the water and also uh, above the water for pre- uh, predators. So that's how they can survive. So while we're setting up AI strategy to take the most advantage of it, we want to make sure that our customers consider its risk as well. And one of the questions that is popping up is again back to that data access, data security. And we need to understand that uh, most customers, they have data governance, uh, data security in place, or as we, at least they've been working on it. But AI governance is different. Like we can put data governance under the umbrella of AI governance. So if I have mm-hmm. data governance, doesn't mean that I'm safe uh, in, and I won't uh, have any AI risk within my platform. Yeah, it seems like that the the initial concern with most people is probably around copyright and and or you know leveraging something that they feel like you know, either have or think has value and not wanting either derivative work or something built off of it. And and do you have any examples that you've seen or heard of? Is that a concern? Uh, and and then how have you counseled people to think about that? So I would imagine that um, a lot of, of, of the first thing that people are going to think about from a protecting their information is probably around their own copyright or copyrighted material that they have and whether or not they uh, want to put that information into one of these systems or have some other you know third-party piece of software do something with that, like putting copyrighted material into ChatGPT. And you know I think that... Uh, OpenAI is obviously trying to address that, you know, in certain ways that use their system, they're not going to train or have that uh, information available outside of that. But is that is that one of the first concerns that you've heard as you're talking to people that the first things that they think about or is there something else that they're thinking and talking about that, that rises above that? This is, yes, exactly one of their main concerns that they have. And like one of the customers, they were like, oh, what our engineers do is our secret sauce. If I want to put what they do in a, an AI model so that they use it for the training, then what's going to happen to my revenue, to my business? So that's uh, one of the concerns that they have. Then back to your point, Randall, like OpenAI or other AI uh, foundational AI providers, they're trying to say, like you can um, have your own version of what we're doing, like using Rack, uh, Retrieval 
augmented generative so that you can build your own solution. You can fine tune your own solution without us accessing those information. But still, um, as you notice, the like the development of AI is super fast, that people are still trying to digest what AI means. And in the meantime, they need to think about how they can leverage it. So it's going to be a little bit too much for them to first digest the AI use cases within their company while understanding, oh, if I use this uh, offering of OpenAI, my data would be kept private. So still, it's, uh, it takes time for them to digest that. Uh, it, it reminds me in the past when uh, we were taking photos. We didn't want to like share our photos. We were worried if someone is going to use our photos, do Photoshop, do something else. Mm -hmm. And then uh, eventually now we are that much comfortable that we share everything on TikTok, like Instagram, anything. Like we, it took us some time to get here. And I think we have, we'll face a similar journey for AI as well. At the beginning, there are some reluctancy, there are some concerns, but by the time we get more comfortable with adopting these technologies, the question is like how we can keep that balance, don't fall behind the game. Like Amazon back to 2000, it was able to kick out many uh, business with its offering. So now it's like, now it's a little bit uh, tricky, but it was a winner. It was on uh, ahead of the market for a while. So how we can take advantage of AI at the beginning, like sooner before falling ahead of, uh, behind again. Yeah, I think, uh, I think what's likely is because it is progressing so quickly that it's going to outpace the legal system and judicial system about, you know, what the, what, what are the, what's, what are the rules? <laughs> uh, and it, it'll it'll have to be, you know, not only will rules be written, it'll have to be adjudicated, which means we're probably years, you know, and, until we kind of know what the outcomes of those are. But, you know, I think uh, just like to hear your thoughts about like, um, again, kind of falling on existing copyright, existing ethics and, and, and the morals. I think one of the conversations that came up during Confluence was even this conversation about if you're generating, uh, using one of these systems to generate imagery and you're going to show that to a client, do you claim that it's your own work product or, you know, or do you have to disclose that this was made by this, you know, other service in a bot, right? Even questions like that, I think are going to, are, are going to be starting to, to enter people's minds. And, um, just what, what are your thoughts about, um, about the timing of needing to do this in lieu of that? a third party, either the legal system or judicial system is going to tell us what to do. What's your thoughts on that? So recently, the government said that we need to watermark the AI generated content. It doesn't mean that it's going to solve uh, the problem because back to watermarking our images, there are many solutions that you can remove the watermark and say, okay, this is like my own sure. image. So similar thing will happen for AI generated content as well. I'm sure there are some solutions already in the market that can enable us to remove those watermarking. So by watermarking, at least uh, they're trying to differentiate between uh, fake content and also like human created content. <clears throat> uh, that's one way to address that. 
But the challenge, the other challenge here is uh, we are talking about human AI collaboration. If I use an AI system to generate a content or to generate a design, and then I'm going to make changes, it's like giving me a draft. And then I create, I work on it, change it, update it based on my preference, based on the design needs, then do I still need to say that is AI generated or is the collaboration between me and AI? And then how the watermark works because I made changes. It's different from the original uh, content that I got from an AI solution. So there are some uh, ambiguity here in that watermarking. Uh, Ivan, you want to say something? I know, it's just kind of crazy, right? Because yeah. we've used tools forever. Yeah. And we have never had to say what tools we've used to do anything. And that's they have right. augmented everything that we've done. And that's what separates us from all the other species, right? And, and so it's like, I totally see what you're saying. And at the same time, how, how is this actually different? Yeah. I, I, I had an interview with a uh, um, content manager this morning. Out of curiosity, I asked, it's like, I'm not against of using ChatGPT, but I'm interested to know if you use ChatGPT to generate mm -hmm. your content. And she said that her response was like, I use it for the research, but I still need to validate uh, sure. the response I get from ChatGPT. And then I work on those uh, findings from ChatGPT and create a humanized version of the content. So it's not going to be chat GBT generated content. Sure. But uh, even some, she was uh, honest and transparent. She uh, said that how she used it, but some people may not uh, be that transparent and it's difficult to figure it out. And back to your point, even like, why should I care if that content is valid, is clear enough that can convey the message? Because I use like, uh, Photoshop to generate some right. images. So did anyone ask check. me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A spell check too. Yeah. So did anyone ask me which uh, tool I use or not? No, they didn't. So well, I think the I think it comes back. You know, I'll just uh, reference. You know, obviously experimenting with these kinds of tools here internally, and you know, the, some of the first stuff of. Uh, of asking chat GPT, it's, it is like, it's like magic, right? You ask it and it spits out all this info, but you know, I can tell you just, you know, using it myself, it does hallucinate. Uh, and you know, not everything that, you know, it's no different than talking to a person, you know, which, mm -hmm. which makes me think, you know, what people really need to think about is brand. You know, I think about like, you know, your brand is, is your reputation. And if you are just getting something out of one of these systems and passing it on, you're not sure if you're passing on something that is, should be representative of you or not. And uh, mm. so everything has to be checked. Um, I mean, at some point, there'll probably be things that these systems do that um, I'll just say is low enough down the stack that we just, you know, it's like doing the math, do, do, doing stuff that we just go, okay, I trust that the system did it and I don't have to think about that. It just... It's been proven that it's, you know, 100% accurate and, and you don't have to worry about it. But there's things like when you're, especially an LLM where you're asking it to write things, I've been using it more and more, but I'll, you know, I create my own outline, I'll shove it in and then ask it to 
regurgitate that back. And, you know, it's, it's good for like writer's block or you know, like, yeah. Hey, that did a, it actually did a better job than I would, you know, in yeah. writing something, but I still have to, you know, read every bit of it and scrutinize the words and be like, that's not quite what right. I meant. And so at least from my standpoint, I think it's, it's part of my brand. Like I'm not going to put something out there that I wouldn't have said mm. myself. Right. And so yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. And, uh, Back to that original question, like what if uh, like a client asks whether it's like AI generated or not, uh, it's good to understand why they're curious. Because like I used to use like Revit to design, but I could do with hand and just uh, pen and paper. But with that Revit, it makes everything faster. And if my client can get the design in a shorter time with less cost, then it's beneficial for them and even less error. Like later for like clash detection and they're doing construction and they find out, oh, something happened. We're not that advanced in AI generated design yet, but if we can minimize those errors, the clients should be happy rather than mm -hmm. just relying on human does everything. Mm -hmm. Sure. I just was gonna throw it out there that OpenAI mentioned that 100 million users every month are using their system, and there's many other systems, right? So for those of you out there in the audience who are still thinking about wading in and kind of in the wait-and-see mode, there are a lot of people playing with this. I won't say they're heavy users, right. but there's a lot of heavy users as well. No, and I can attest that there's utility. I mean, I, I, like I said, it's, um, there's an efficiency to it. I've just, just in the last month, you know, have been writing some things and needing to submit some things, uh, speaking and, you know, even taking your bio and getting that reworked. Um, mm -hmm. It's like just very efficient things that, you know, I would have taken me multiple hours to go do. Now, now it gets reduced to, you know, 15, 20 minutes, maybe just feed this in and get something yeah. that I'm like, this is as good or better than I would have written myself. But again, <laughs> I have to, you have to read it. And you have to make sure that it's, you know, that it's represent. I, that's the way I think about it. Is this yeah. something that I would comfortable putting out there with my name on it? And uh, the other thing that I think is worth bringing up is the recent ruling on copyright, right? It's because the government basically said that AI generated content is not copyrightable by individuals or companies. And getting back to Rangel's original question about IP and copyright, especially in the AEC professions where architects' drawings are copyrighted and their imagery that they produce, their renderings, all of those things fall within that copyright. And now we're hearing that this is not. So there's the disclosure part of it, Randall, which you were bringing up earlier. Do I even need to say that this was a tool that we use to generate text or images or whatever, but then there's also the ownership of the output and the ethics and the governance around all of that. And so, Sam, you probably know way more than we do about that copyright case. Can you elaborate on that and give people the lowdown of where we're currently at? So for that, um, I'm not uh, sure what the government's uh, policy would be in like six months or a year. Because it is still sure. new to them and everyone concerned mm -hmm. about all oh, copyright. So they want to say, hey, if you generate it with copyright, uh, sorry, with AI, it doesn't have any uh, copyright. Um, it's not applicable. Copyright is not applicable. So they're trying mm -hmm. to take 
to control it for a while until people get comfortable. And I think it may change in the future. But the way that I'm thinking about it, let's say there is like a platform out there for design. And if I go fine tune that platform for the design that I have, like I've been doing design for the last 20, 30 years. I'm like an architecture firm that is doing it for 20, 30 years. And I'm going to fine tune that um, generative AI for design specifically for what I do, then it's trained based on my content. I think in that case, it's fair to say as like um, someone who trained that model, I will own those design generated with AI. So it really depends like whether it's something public or it's something that is specifically fine-tuned for what I'm doing within my company. In that case, if it's trained for my based on my own data, then it, I should have the, this right for copyright. But if it's based on the public data, it's, it's similar to we used to go search Google, reading multiple articles, and then combine them with our own point of view. We were doing yeah. it. But right now, with this generative AI, it's much simpler. I don't have to go through 100 pages to find the points that I'm looking for. It just gives me the answer in like five minutes. And then I combine it with my point of view and then share it out there. So in that case, I think that point of view is still owned by me because it's my idea that is combined with something that is publicly available. So I, I think it's debatable here. If it's like generated specifically with public data and no touch from me, or it's generated with public data combined with my own or user's point of view, or it's like uh, an AI model generated with an AI model that I fine tune, train with my own uh, private data, personal data. The yeah. idea of it being co-creation, I think is what you're mm -hmm. talking about, right? So mm -hmm. it's augmenting the person yes. or the team. Yeah. But even with AI image generation, it's it's not reading your mind and you, you are prompting it with your prompting and therefore you are curating maybe an image that no one's ever seen before, right? And so yeah. you're playing a part in that. And I remember when that, uh, there was a New York Times article where they talked about the guy who won the Colorado State Fair image contest, the photography contest, and it was a mid-journey image. And when they interviewed him about it, it was like hundreds of hours of tweaking the prompt to get it, the output, what he wanted. And even then, he still had to Photoshop stuff sure. that he wanted. <laughs> to make it and curate the pixels that were ultimately displayed in the image that won first prize. And you can't say that he didn't do anything, right? Mm -hmm. You can't say that it wasn't a co-creation. So it's this is really a blurry subject, right? All well, new. Yeah. I would think that um, I would think that if you have taken the output and done anything to it that you could claim copyright at that point, right? And I mean, I, I know enough about yeah. uh, about intellectual property. I teach a class, and so part of what we cover mm -hmm. is intellectual property rights. And you know, it's like I think most people don't even understand. It's like you can you can claim you know anything that you any creative work that you write or put down on paper or a code code that you write, you can copy you can copyright that and just make a claim to it. Mm -hmm. And then you know, with uh, with a uh, you know, something like an image that you created, even, you know, as you were talking about that, Evan, I was thinking about like 
you know, there are buildings, I think, that people, you know, iconic buildings that people have claim as a, you know, you can't just replicate that. So they're going to claim that this is a unique. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that gets interesting. It's like, okay, if you've used some of these AI tools to generate some of this original concept art, and that's what ends up being the basis for what becomes like an iconic building shape or something that somebody wants to now claim as, you know, as copyrighted, uh, uh, that design, you know, now you've got this complexity of like, well, of course this is, you know, I've just built this big building. I can't, I don't want people making 50 copies of it around the world. Uh, luckily for us, like it doesn't just go from image to building, right? There's yeah, so there's, much in between to actually between make that there. happen. And that's where architect's value really comes in is, is create crafting space, even in a reverse engineering sense, if you start off with a concept image, right? And you work your way backwards and you have to build that model. You have to do all those drawings. You have to go through construction and construction administration and all those. That's a huge process. You sure. can't really claim that. I don't know. It doesn't seem much different than how architects have practiced forever, where they're flipping through magazines, tearing out pictures, putting them up on the wall. It becomes inspirational to their project. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Just like Sam was saying with writing on pulling sources from Google, right? It's everything is a remix to quote Cory Doctorow, right? Everything out there is uh, in the big soup of creation and it's all fair game on some level. And then there's this, the copyright, the ethics, the governance as well. And these things are constantly butting heads. Any thoughts on that, Sam? Uh, I was sure. thinking like back to your point in terms of getting let's say Zal had his design and then train an AI model because her designs uh, were unique and then mm. try to generate something similar to it and then uh, say, oh, it's under my name. I own that design. I could do that back to your point even by just looking at some photos and then go use Revit, Rhino, other design to, tool to recreate that. The only difference mm. here is like, Maybe I can recreate it much faster rather than going into uh, a design tool and doing it myself. And uh, I was thinking about it this morning about different topic. Like even when I look at the building, it may look, all of them may look similar, but there are many nuances in that design that is difficult yeah. to figure out. So that's where a human comes in. Like, yeah, generating that like a box or like a building uh, design might be easy, but there are many nuances inside of it that it's not easy. It needs knowledge and it needs experience to get in, uh, inject them into the design. Uh, that would be my point of view about uh, like getting inspired from other design. We were doing it. It's just now might be faster to regenerate that. Yeah, I think along the along those lines, uh, you know, when you were talking about uh, Evan, when you were asking about, uh, you know, should you wade into this? Or, you know, should you get started in it? Mm -hmm. I think the answer is yes. You better figure it out. And if I was going to predict, I think a lot of people's first will be that. And we talked about this during the Confluence event, uh, kind of fear. That was one of the things that the group like the, one of the emotions that people have is just the uncertainty and the kind of fear around this stuff. But I'll bet that, uh, even when it comes to the, 
uh, governance or the the issues around whether you should use this stuff or not, what's going to end up being the first thing to take advantage of is the speed. The speed at which you can use some of these tools to do things faster than you used to be able to do them. Just like me talking about the writing. I can I can sit and write and, and have writer's block or agonize over something, but if I can use this tool to get to get to the end in half the time or a quarter of a time or a tenth of the time that it used to take me, then I'm going to start doing that. And I'm going to take advantage of that and get back time to do something else. And I'll, I'll bet that's what we're going to see in this industry is there are going to be some early things that are, are going to be big time savers. And that's what everybody should, I would claim, jump into and mm. figure out quickly. Can I add something to what you just mentioned, Randall? So yeah. you're leveraging the technology in a way that can benefit your business and also uh, your customers can benefit from it. Let's say you just sit down, write the same content. It takes you like two weeks, just as an example, to generate a blog. But by using partnering with the, like an AI solution, you can generate the content maybe in two hours. So that means you can generate more frequently and you can generate more values for your customers. You can drive the traffic to your website. People can, uh, can have that opportunity to be familiar with what you're building. So it puts you in front of the game compared to your competitors because you're generating values much faster and more efficient rather than someone that say, oh, I don't want to use AI. I want to just sit down and rewrite that. That's okay. They can do that if, if this is something that they want to do. But I feel like you can get into that J curve going off faster than your competitors because of uh, the way you use technologies. Yeah, yeah I think and I'm glad uh, you said just... technology and not AI. Yeah. Because right. this is the same argument. Randall, how many years have you been making this argument to firms to say leverage technology to give yourself an advantage? It could be a competitive advantage. It could just be a work product. I don't know. It could be all kinds of advantages. It could be time efficiency savings, things like that. It's the same thing. What's different? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it is. And, uh, you know, I, I think um, just something to uh, to your counterpoint to that, Sam, that I can, because I'm faster, I've got two options. I can either produce more in the same amount of time or I can free that time up to do something else. So like when it comes to like content marketing, like writing blog posts, you know, I think that there's a balancing act between good quality content and volume of content because these tools mm -hmm. can definitely, I mean, they, you talk about the volume and I, my guess is what we're going to see is we're going to get bombarded because it is cheaper and faster to mm -hmm. produce more of this kind of information. We're going to start getting bombarded with it, which means we're probably going to retreat back into trusted sources, back to the yeah. brand. Where, where, because I've only got so much time to consume, where am I going to spend my time? And because I think we're going to get more and more of this information just pounding and still. It's have, already happened, Randall. Don't that, have time to consume it, right? I think it was Amazon who had to limit publishers, and it goes for self-publishers, to fifty titles per day that they could publish to Amazon. Oh, well. 
you could only publish 50 books a day to Amazon now because everybody was using these large language models to make ebooks and they were putting thousands of them up and it's just inundated with content. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's all new, um, new territory. Yeah. And uh, Randall, back to your po point about being bombarded uh, is in terms of the content itself and also technologies. Like we talk about it, that there are going to be more technologies, especially with what OpenAI is doing, like providing that store. That's an opportunity for a small AEC companies because with the less amount of money, they have this opportunity to experiment with AI solutions. In the meantime, we having that, it makes AI governance more essential for every business mm -hmm. because there are more solutions out there. Whatever problems you have, probably one day there will, there will be a solution out there. If it's not unique specifically to your business, it's something that the whole industry is suffering. But the question is whether I should go and try it when I'm going to try it. What are those principles of AI governance that I should consider to make sure that I protect my client's data, I protect my IP, and also security of my platform? Yeah, and I think I think you make a good point that it, it may be the smaller, more nimble firms that can, you know, begin to look this this wave. I think we're going to see this wave of technology over the next five or ten years that are going to you know accelerate beyond maybe faster than anything we've seen uh, in the past, which means the right smaller entrants into the market may be able to rethink completely the business models and the way that they're conducting their business. And, you know, that's, it's all new territory. So I think it's going to be for those that are, you know, there'll be some gray areas around the governance side and the, but, uh, you know, I think for the most part, good, good, good moral and ethical background and just thinking like, you know, what, what seems reasonable and, you know, am I going to disclose to somebody that I've used, you know, something, I think those are, I think those are going to get behind us really quick because it's moving so fast that we're just going to, I think a year from now we'll be saying, why are we even talking about that? When, you know, it's, it's going to be so pervasive, I think so quickly that it's going to be yeah. um, hard, hard, but, but that does bring up, right. What are the, what are the tough, like, what do you, what do you, that'd be, that'd be a good, like, what do you think are the bedrock underpinning things that need to be being thought about as opposed to, you know, I don't want to trivialize the copyright and some of these things, but I think that's going to, that's going to get figured out pretty quick because it's moving so fast, or at least, um, at least there'll be a mainstream and you're, you're either going to be fighting against the stream, right? Uh, yeah. If you, if you kind of hold to some thought that, that the, 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 the market or everybody's not moving towards, but are there any other kind of bedrock things that, that you think are, are underpinning this, that, that people need to be thinking about? Uh, I, if you're asking about like AI governance specifically, uh, I would say it's not going to be one time task. It's going to change back to your point. This uh, technology is evolving super fast. So it means that our governance regulations principles, will uh, be changing as well. The way that I'm looking at it is, uh, I'm going to use an analogy like a kid. So like when a mom is pregnant, that kid that is like shaping is, has some DNA from his parents. 
and the earlier generation. So there are some, we can look at it like a biases, like some behaviors inside of that kid that hasn't born yet. So it's like an AI system. And then it's born. The parents trying to educate that person what's good, what's not good, and what you need to do. So that is like a training, an AI model. So you train it so that it knows when it goes into the society how they should behave. And then there are some basic that built here, but it could differ family by family. So that's where I'm saying, like, depending on your company's mm -hmm. uh, strategy, depending on even where you're from, whether it's like in Europe or in the US, that governance framework could differ. And then once those kids going into society, school, or finding a job, then there are some variables impacting their behavior. So it doesn't mean if I find a solution, an AI solution that is good, is fair, is not biased, it keeps my privacy. Once I start to using it, it the behavior will change because it, there is a feedback loop here. The way that we give feedback to an AI model, we can change its behavior similarly to a kid in a society. That behavior, there might be a good kid going into like a school, hanging out with bad friends, and then their behavior can change. So that's where like that governance should exist across the whole life cycle of using an AI solution. And in the meantime, it's not just an AI, sorry, a company in charge of setting up those rules. There is like a government that setting some regulations to keep some behavior to make sure that uh, ethical AI exists. And there are some regulations and standards that coming from uh, communities like ASC, like ACS. Those are going to have their own AI regulations for like electrical engineering community. They are going to have their own AI regulation for electrical engineers, how they can leverage technologies or what they need to do. So there are multiple aspects that's going to inject into the way that we uh, set up an AI governance framework. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't thought about it in this way in, until you were just saying that. But you know, if you think about that, a firm is going to begin using these tools, and ultimately the employees of that firm are going to train are going to be parts of the input. It's really more about the culture. So there might be even within a firm, right? What's What's the culture that you're creating? Because that culture is ultimately what's going to feed and build the model, which is the brand of the firm, right? And what goes in, right? If, mm -hmm. if that's if you're literally training now these tools that are going to be part of what you're doing, it seems like um, that maybe that's a part of the conversation that people have to start thinking about. What am I putting into my model? Yeah. The analogy of a child is interesting. And at the same time, I don't think of AI as being an entity. I think of it of being more like air. It's inside of and around us. It's ubiquitous. We, we use AI every day and we don't even think about it, right? There's spell check, there's traffic cams, there's Google, there's just so many ways. There's spam filters in email and all of this is just happening and we're totally okay with it, but it's not labeled AI. Now there's this these specific tools that people are very concerned about that are labeled AI. And we're talking about ethics and governance and all of these things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't talk about that, but at the same time, I think AI is going to be literally everywhere. 
and how do you distinguish it from anything else is going to be a very tough problem to to do that separation. And uh, I didn't mean like AI is like an entity. It's like it exists, as mm -hmm. you said, er everywhere in everything, right? Even mm -hmm. I'm sure now that we're talking on this platform, there are some AI solution involved that we even don't know what they are. Maybe like right. optimizing the speed of these videos, moving around or yeah. even recording. Well, so it's, it's drawing an outline around whoever's talking at the moment, right? Like okay. that's so, yeah. a, a, an example, a yeah. very small example of what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So great. yeah, you're right. Well, exists. I think this is a, uh, a, what a great conversation. It was, uh, it was great to have, uh, you and Mehdi uh, at the event this year to help, uh, you know, one run an AI. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. We, yeah. We didn't, I didn't say that, you know, that, that the preface was this, that you guys helped to run a, an AI workshop uh, during the event. And then obviously you helped us to cover the, this kind of governance uh, side of things, but uh, it's obviously a hot topic right now. And uh, I think the early indicators, we always do a survey after about what people think we should be doing next year and everybody's already saying just this is going to move so fast that we just need to keep talking about this topic probably for yeah. the foreseeable yeah. future this, so. this podcast is already obsolete by the time it arrives on people's uh, phones yeah absolutely <laughs> moving very quick totally but uh, yeah. yeah we appreciate your participation uh, both in the in the uh, live event and uh, coming onto the podcast and you know, this stuff is moving so quickly, we might, you know, find, get, get you back on here before we've had another consulate event too, so. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, either in Lexington and over uh, this podcast, it was, uh, the event, Confluence event in Lexington was fascinating and like, was really fruitful in terms of learning what others are doing. And also like networking with others, uh, about like AI, we all were sharing like a similar interest. So it was easy to talk about like what we like, what we don't like about AI mm. or recent tech advancement. Yeah. Well, I we're going to put a like link to Yegatech the... in the show notes and we'll put a link to your LinkedIn, Sam, so that people Thank can you. follow up and, and get in touch with you. Is there anywhere else that people should be or they can follow along with the work that you're doing, the books that you're publishing, the presentations, the consulting. Is Yegatech the place to, to go find that or is it somewhere else? Uh, yes, it's yegatech.com. Uh, on behalf of Mehdi, I also can offer his signed copy of the book to the <laughs> first five uh, people who listen to oh, this nice. podcast and go to our website, uh, yegatech.com slash free and uh, say that they heard about us from this Confluence podcast. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Sam. And uh, I know uh, we're all heading to Vegas next week. I don't know when this will end up airing, but we're all headed to Vegas for Autodesk University, so we'll get to see each other there. Thank great you. Having you on the, great having you on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so great much, Sam. Great seeing you again. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate right. that. Yeah. Thanks.